0: growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything.
1: Thank you, Judy. One of the difficult aspects of life and faith in Christ is that it often seems as if God isn't really doing anything. We come to church, we pray, we try to study the Bible, we're kind, we dutifully serve, but nothing seems to change. We hear these great stories in the Bible, men and women who spoke with God, who saw miracles. We want to know how God is working, how he is responding to our prayers, but his ways are often hidden. Death and its many henchmen, pain, heartbreak, tragedy, vandalize all of our lives. We don't have to question whether death and sin are active in our lives. The evidence is all around and within. This confronts people of faith with a question. Has God abandoned us to the powers of darkness? There are some days when it really feels as though he has. But the good news answers an emphatic no to that question. It tells us that God is at work, the kingdom is at hand, but we often lack the ability to see that. Our sermons out of the Gospel of Mark are focusing on doing what Jesus does. But following Jesus happens in the midst of a war, in the midst of a collision between God's kingdom and the power of the evil one and the kingdoms of humankind. Death and its henchmen stalked Jesus as well. He was hunted from the day he was born. While he traveled and taught, faced opposition, saw his friends die, watched his people buckling under the heavy loads of the Roman Empire, Jesus maintained his faith. How? I think one of the ways is that Jesus saw the kingdom in the most ordinary of things. The man could look at a burning lamp or a farmer scattering seeds or a woman kneading dough and find the kingdom of God in that. Jesus' parables give us a window into his imagination to think his thoughts and shape our souls to also find the kingdom where we least expect it. And our sermon summary this morning is this. Pondering Jesus' parables shapes us to find Jesus' kingdom. Pondering Jesus' parables shapes us to find Jesus' kingdom. And what I aim to set before you this morning is that Jesus' vision of the kingdom prepares us to perceive the ordinary stuff of our lives in a new way, in a way that opens up God's working to us. And when we join Jesus in Mark chapter 4, his public ministry has just begun. The Holy Spirit had sent him into his home region of Galilee to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. And Jesus did that by by preaching, by teaching, by speaking words, and also by performing miracles. People are healed, unclean spirits are banished. Jesus wasted no time in locking horns with the evil one. And last week in Mark chapter three, we saw how the enemy began to strike back. The religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. They say he's actually an agent of Satan. His own mother and brothers show up, ready to cart him back to Nazareth. He faces opposition from every side. A huge crowd gathers to hear him proclaim God's kingdom. But rather than some kind of a political speech or a plan to take over Jerusalem, Jesus tells these short, puzzling stories that we call parables. Farmers, lamps, crops growing, generous measuring cups, mustard plants, they have no idea what he's talking about. So the disciples ask him to explain. And Jesus says in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's one of those verses that doesn't often come up in Sunday school. What is he talking about? Doesn't Jesus want everyone to come to know and understand the truth? And I think we need to take a few steps back and remind ourselves of what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about that over the few weeks, and we've already seen it come up in Mark. I think that will help us understand why he used parables in his teaching, which will then help us hopefully understand these parables themselves and what he's trying to tell us about the kingdom. And that will hopefully enable us to get a better look at the kingdom in our own lives. When Jesus' first audience 2,000 years ago, these Israelites, most of them poor, when they heard him say, kingdom of God, they did not think, oh good, we'll go to heaven when we die. That was completely not in their minds. They thought, time's up for Rome, the Jewish leaders complicit with them. Time's up for every power that steals and scorches and chokes Israel. They heard kingdom and thought of Joshua and David, conquest and bloodshed. And following that script, Mark, two should have seen Jesus marching at the head of an army, facing down Caesar's legions on the foothills of Jerusalem, towns like Bethany and Bethlehem burning before them. But Jesus wasn't bringing another kingdom like Rome. Or even, really, another kingdom like David's or Solomon's. Here's what conquest looks like according to Jesus, in Mark chapter one, verses 32 and following. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. That's Jesus' style of conquest and warfare. And the kingdom of God is wherever and whenever God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And another way to say that is that God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is present in power and in faithfulness. The kingdom is the time and place where God's will is done. That's not true of all times and places yet because the universe is in revolt to God's rule. But he wants to set the world upright to correct the wrongs that have for too long gone unpunished. But that involves a collision between his kingdom, his rule, and the powers of evil. The good news of the kingdom of God isn't good news for everybody. King Herod, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, the Pharisees disputing with Jesus in the synagogue, no one with a vested interest in how things are now wants God to change things up. What Jesus was doing was fraught with danger and peril. So there are at least three reasons why Jesus spoke in parables. The first is, again, because it was quite dangerous, and so he spoke in parables that the authorities wouldn't have a reason to immediately kill him. And the parables functioned sort of like a code language. He could announce himself as Israel's true king, but in a way that only his friends, only the insiders, would really understand what he was talking about. This is why Jesus explained the parables to the disciples. It was safe for them to know because they were on the inside. And this is also why, and you may have noticed this in the verses I read from Mark 1, For the first half of the gospel, Jesus repeatedly commands both evil spirits and uh, the folks that he heals not to tell anybody what happened and not to identify him. And again, you think, wait a minute, that's the opposite. Why does Jesus not want people to know? Because he knew that once the word began to get out, the enemies would come, the enemies would circle. He knew that his life was to end on the cross, but he also knew there was a proper time for that. And throughout the Gospels, you'll see him referring to, it is not yet my hour, it is not yet my time. He had a very keen understanding of when he was supposed to die. And a thread that we don't often follow in the Gospel story is that the evil one didn't actually know what the triune God's plan of salvation was. He didn't know what was going to happen. And this is the reason that Jesus just kind of moves randomly around the Judean countryside. Right, Eventually, he makes that trip up to Jerusalem, but before that, he's just running around It doesn't stay in any one place for too long. This is also why he often said things that were very puzzling, even to the disciples. He was keeping both the human and the spiritual enemies guessing as to what was going to happen. The devil thought that he had won when Jesus died on the cross. I think he figured out, I guess two days later, that he did not but he thought that Jesus' death on the cross was the triumph of evil, but Christ's death doomed Satan, death itself, and the power of sin to destruction. According to his ancient promises, Yahweh, the God of Israel, has saved the human race from evil and delivered us from the power of death through his son, Jesus. He was born of a virgin, becoming one of us fragile creatures. He died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God and to trap the powers of sin in God's judgment. He was raised again to glorious life to unleash his Holy Spirit upon the world. He ascended to heaven where he now rules all nations, rules over all of human history, and from where he will soon return to lay our tired old world to rest and raise up the new one. That is the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That same gospel, according to Jesus, that will be proclaimed to all peoples, nations, and tribes before the end of the age. And we're working really hard on it. We are. Once Jesus had been raised from the dead and given all authority in heaven and on earth, nothing was supposed to be hidden, right? It changes, and his approach changed because he had won, so we didn't have to keep things secret anymore. He sent his people out to loudly and publicly announce what had happened, both so that the people could hear and respond, and also so that the powers of evil in the heavenly places would know that their evil reign was over. The second reason that Jesus taught in parables is that they were an instrument of judgment. In verses 9 and 23, Jesus calls on those who have ears to hear, to respond, to believe his message. Jesus knew that not everyone would be able to receive his word. That's what the parable of the sower is about. You can scatter seed and one-fourth of the people are going to be actually able to bear it and bear fruit from it. The parables reveal the crowd's hard-heartedness. If they weren't willing to ponder and puzzle through the parable, that demonstrated that they were not open to a new kingdom. This is why Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah in verse 12, that they'll be ever seeing but never perceiving and so on. They will hear Jesus' words, but they will not understand what it is he's talking about. The parables separate those ready for the good news from those who are not. For only the good one, not the good ones, for only the ready ones, the ones with ears to hear, will stick around to hear his explanation. And I think the third reason that Jesus taught in parables was that he knew that the parables would shape our imaginations and our affections, would shape the imaginations and affections of all who sat and thought about them. What did he mean by that? Our tiny human brains cannot grasp the fullness of the kingdom directly. These little stories disarm the people's expectations about God's kingdom and replaces it with with the truth, with reality. Jesus' desire was not to hide the truth forever. He says in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The kingdom was to be hidden only temporarily. His preaching about the kingdom was only supposed to be hidden temporarily. And thinking about the parables is the way in which our minds and hearts are made ready for Jesus' kingdom. Jesus tells us in verse 24 to pay attention to what you hear. The NIV, the NIV says, consider carefully what you hear. Pondering Jesus' parables shapes us to find Jesus' kingdom. And while Jesus explained everything to the, the disciples, one of the things I noticed in the preparation for this is that we're only given one of the explanations to one of the parables in Mark. The others are left, as the crowds would have heard them, without an explanation. I think that's very intentional, and I think that it's an invitation for us to also hear the parables and ponder them and consider them for ourselves, and thereby learn to see the kingdom all around us. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God happens in the ordinary. It happens slowly and quietly, like a plant growing. It is small, easy to miss, like a seed. It is humble and can be taken for granted, like a common household lamp. This means that God's work among us will also be slow, quiet, easy to miss, and often taken for granted. Many of us live hurried lives, and while there are seasons when that is appropriate, there are more important things to do than hurry. These parables were not just downloaded into Jesus' brain. They were the fruit of the careful attention that he paid to the people and the world around him. We will not see the kingdom if we're not watching for it, if we're not paying attention to what's happening in our lives. And to what shall we compare the kingdom of God, Calvary? Behold, the kingdom of God is like a potluck, for while each separately cannot feed a multitude, when brought together, many dishes fill many stomachs. The kingdom of God is like a faithful caregiver, cleaning and tending to a loved one, though long unable to respond with thanks. Behold, the kingdom of God is like friendship with children, for while their bodies are weak, their spirits are mighty. The kingdom of God is like encouraging a friend, for the world is filled with demonic noise, but a kind word calms the hurricane. How can we learn to find the kingdom in the everyday? Well, really, you have to figure that out for yourself as you ponder the parables for yourself but I will make a few suggestions. Firstly, don't follow Jesus by keeping things secret. There are times when we need to hold our peace, when we need to keep a secret because of different obligations that are upon us. But Jesus says in verse 22 again, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Trust the Lord and trust his people enough to tell one another When you're struggling, when death and its henchmen are bearing down upon you, the kingdom is found when we are open and vulnerable with one another and before the throne of the Lord. Secondly, and lastly, don't look or don't only look for big, fast results in people's lives. We need to watch for the gentle unfolding of growth in hearts and minds and bodies. Contrary to our expectations, Jesus says that the kingdom grows like a crop, slowly, silently, on its own time. There are ways that you want to change, that you want to be different, that you wish you were were different. There are definitely ways that you wish the people around you were different, and ways that your loved ones would be different. The parables urge us to have tremendous patience with ourselves and with one another. Jesus tells us that the things don't change quickly. Many of us have been praying for loved ones for a long time with no visible difference. But no eye can see what is working under the surface, what rich crop of righteousness is silently germinating and will one fine day find its way to the sunlight. I'll conclude with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Lewis says, I was standing today in a dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside and through the crack at the top of the door there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. And instantly the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed, and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw, framed in that irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside, and beyond that, some 90-odd million miles away, the sun. Looking at the beam and looking along the beam are very different experiences. Church, may we learn to have the imagination and vision of Jesus, to not only look at the ordinary stuff of life, Everybody does that. That's why it's ordinary. But by the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to look along the ordinary stuff of life to the glorious kingdom of God that it reveals. Would you pray with me? Father, we are again thankful for this good day. And we are thankful for the example and the teaching, the sacrifice and the rising again of our Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask just in each of our minds and hearts that we would Ponder the parables. Lord, that we wouldn't just think, well, it's somebody else's job to think through what that means, or I'm not intelligent enough to do that, or I don't have time to do that. Lord, I pray that you would rebuke us for the ways in which we hurry along and miss how you're working in our lives. I pray, Lord, that for each of us, we would find renewed comfort and strength and faith in how we see you at work in our lives. May today the ordinary stuff around us reveal your goodness and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.